corporate boards, they hit the headlines when things go wrong. It's also true that the best boards do their work behind the scenes. They scrutinize, challenge, and support the executive team in areas such as succession planning, shareholder relations, and long-term strategy. Here to help us lift the veil on what successful corporate boards need to do is Simon Learmount, Professor in Corporate Governance at CJBS and Chair of the World Economic Forum Climate Governance Initiative. He's taught corporate governance and management praxis for many years on our MBA, EMBA, and executive education courses. So welcome, Simon. Hi, comrade. Great to see you. Simon, could you first tell us about the relationship and responsibilities of boards versus the executive? So the relationship between boards and the execs is um, is, re is really interesting. It's changed over time. Um, and in some ways, it was um, kind of it, it, it influenced why I became interested in corporate governance right from right from the outset. Um, I ran a company, I was an entrepreneur a long time ago, um, and uh, I thought that my uh, role was to um, manage the company, create economic value, um, to, you know, really make a difference. Um, but I focused very much on the day-to-day, the, -day, the nitty-gritty, uh, making sure that everything uh, worked effectively on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and of course, that's, that's incredibly important. Um, however, you need to step back occasionally. You need to you know, take the long, long-term view. You need to think about the way the context is changing. You, you need to um, think about the way the world um, is moving. And um, for that, you you absolutely need to have um, a, a, a group, a board um, uh, that's that, that works with you as an executive um, to to just check whether you are you know on the right track um whether your strategies sound um whether you're uh, acting prudently um whether you're actually working uh, entrepreneurially so um it came to me kind of quite early on um how important it was to have that uh, group uh, around you as an executive um and in many ways, the you know the rest is history. I'm I'm happy to tell you more about those early experiences if if, if you like, comrade. But um, I, I suppose back in the day, in the in the 1980s, 1990s, um, a lot of people thought that you know it was it was the executives who who exclusively ran uh, the company. Um, but with all the governance reforms that have taken place since the 1990s, and certainly through the uh, through the 2000s, um, it's become abundantly clear that, that companies, to be effective, have to have well-functioning boards. Um, and the, the roles uh, and responsibilities of the board have evolved significantly during uh, the last uh, two or three decades. You, you, you talked about how you got interested into governance. So for our viewers, if you can type in the comments, what got you as a viewer interested in governance itself? Was it because you started your own company? Was it, is it because you uh, are, are a board director yourself? 
maybe you're on the executive. So please put that in the comments and we can then see what kind of experiences we have in the audience today. Back to you, Simon. Um, what do you think are the elements that go into building a good relationship between the board and the CEO? Okay, so again, a great, a, a, a great question. One, one which has um, focused a lot of uh, a lot of minds. Um, you know, the, the the clue is in the word um, executive. I suppose you know, it's it's about execution um, of, of of strategy. For a long time, um, I think there was a sense that you know all the control, all the uh, inf information, all of the uh, strategy was set by the execs, and the, the board had this kind of you know slightly distant oversight um, uh, role. Um, they were just holding the you know the execs, and particularly of course the chief exec uh, to account. Um, but um, increasingly, it's uh, it's been realised that. Uh, there's a much broader range of stakeholders uh, to whom a company is um, accountable. It needs to take account of uh, environmental issues. It needs to take account of um, social issues. Um, and these have all bubbled around, I think, under the, you know, the term uh, CSR for, uh, for many years. But recently, um, these have really kind of come to the uh, come to the fore. So the board um, now really looks at, you know, managing those different stakeholder interests um, and making sure that um, the chief exec, who, you know, absolutely will be focused on, uh, you know, economic value uh, creation, is taking those kind of issues um, into account. So <clears throat> it's, it's imp it's important that the you know the exec is the chief exec is part of the board, um, but then what we want to do is we want to make sure that that boards have the the mechanisms, the structures, the processes in place um, to ensure that there is a you know a, a, a balance of power and a balance of responsibility that the also the chief exec feels supported um, in there. Um, uh, in 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 their role, it's a it's a huge responsibility to be, to, to 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 be a chief exec, um, and you you oftentimes need that uh, support. You need the sounding boards. Um, you need the, um, the 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 checks, um, the sense checks um, uh, all the time. So so actually, a lot of the work that we've been doing um, over the last uh, few years looks at the interpersonal. Uh, relationships between you know the execs and the non-execs, the the pe people who are responsible for the day-to-day -day running um, of the company, uh, and those who have its long-term success um, uh, in mind. So, you know, how do you actually create the you know the environment, the conditions where uh, chief execs um, and the non-execs and the board as a whole um, work well together? I think. Uh, I know that your answer to this next question, but I wanted to get the audience uh, involved as well. So for the viewers, if you go on to slido.com and you type in that uh, event code or you scan the QR code, you can let us know 
which of these top companies, these are, these are the fan companies, so they make up a huge amount of the uh, market value in the US and globally, which of these companies separates the role of the chair and the CEO? You can vote for more than one option. So please go and we'll, we'll take a look at the, the results later on. But Simon, can a CEO also work well as a chairman? Another great question, one which uh, exercises a lot of minds. If you um, if you look at um, things going wrong um, in, in in companies, so frequently people focus in on um, whether the uh, chief exec and chair role uh, was uh, separated. Um, and if you think about it, um, that's for it's, it's for a good reason. Chief execs do have so much power. Um, and particularly with some of the the, the, the fangs, for example, um, over the over the last uh, few years, um, they have been you know some of these people have been championed as as you know disruptors, as people who have these kind of fantastic ideas, and they need to have uh, the freedom to drive value to you know create these these new technologies, uh, which which are so important uh, for society. So that. Um, that freedom is no doubt um, crit critically important. Um, you know, there, there are so many challenges out there. We need people who, um, you know, have a vision uh, and are able to um, create these incredibly uh, uh, useful um, organizations. But sometimes they can be blinkered. Um, sometimes they need that counsel. Sometimes they need um, that um, that ability to kind of talk <clears throat> talk things through, to look at maybe the bigger uh, the bigger picture, and um, our, our experience is if you have um, a well balanced board, and in particular if you have um, a strong balance of power between the chief exec and the chairman uh, chairperson of the of the board, um, then um, companies are going to be more resilient, okay? And I think resilience is an important word here for, uh, for, for, for governance when we think about uh, uh, boards. We don't want just, um, you know, bets being laid on, you know, particular directions. Um, and, um, you know, mar markets are, 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 are so important for, 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 for these companies. So um, having that, um, that ability to, um, you know, speak to someone, to have, to take counsel, to have your your decisions questioned, um, seems to be uh, really important. Yeah, and I think we can show the results here. So, sixty four percent of the people who said Apple, thirty six percent said Amazon. Some said. Uh, equal numbers said Netflix, Alpha, and then smaller Alphabet and Meta, and the answer actually is Apple and Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so, but so, the interesting so, thing is, obviously, Amazon, the chair, is the founder, Jeff Bezos, and he just recently <laughs> stepped away from the chief exec. Simon, what's what kind of board dynamics are there when the chair uh, was the chief exec or was the founder? Right? How does that work? Well, I mean, I think that one, one of the most instructive um, examples there on that graph you put up, uh, Conrad, is, is, is Meta. I mean, Meta famously has Mark Zuckerberg 
not just as um, you know the head of head of the company, but he also owns sixty four percent of the voting shares of the company. So another another thing that we look at very carefully uh, when we think about these types of companies is not just the structure of the board, uh, but also who controls the votes, who actually controls the votes on the board. Um, most large companies around the world, particularly those which are listed, have quite dispersed uh, shareholding. So if you want to make a significant decision, you're able to you know, make that proposal at the annual general meeting or you know, the board, when it's kind of considering strategy, will think about how it's going to uh, persuade um, that broad church of, um, of, of shareholders um, as to the um, advantages of that, you know, those particular decisions or strategy. Um, but if one person not only controls the company de facto by being its chief exec, um, but also then controls all the voting shares um, on the board, um, then it's very, very difficult for, for, for you know, a, a general kind of council um, to be to be to be sought and brought into the uh, into the uh, organization and what that produces is not not necessarily uh, poor performance but very clearly it does bring about volatility um, I think and if you look at the share price for example of meta we've seen quite significant um, uh, volatility um, and quite a lot of questioning by uh, the big pension funds, um, and big um, asset managers who who are invested in an, in an organisation like Meta, they have to be. You know, it's, it forms such an important part of the market. Um, these questions are raised about you know whether whether we want to rely on just you know one one person to make uh, these big bets, these big decisions um, that will affect you know other people's uh, pensions. It's fine if it's a private company, but for a list a big listed company. It feels like um, it's 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 important to have that balance of power, that ability to kind of discuss stuff, to take soundings from the markets, take soundings from society as to uh, the company's company's decisions. So um, so yes, in my view, splitting the role of chair and chief exec is really important. Making sure that you have a really great balance on board is important for uh, not just for society but for for markets. Um, it reduces volatility. Um, and it gets buy-in to the company uh, strategies. Simon, I think it's time we can take one uh, question at the moment. And I can see that um, Judy's got a question, but I think we'll take Judy's question later on when we look at the internet differences between uh, countries and regions as they mm -hmm. look at corporate governance. But Edward's question is, is it the sole responsibility of the CEO to take directives from the board and translate those into actionable items that are assigned to the executive team? Uh, so again, this slightly depends on, on jurisdiction. Um, there are um, in, in different places around the world, different um, guidelines and principles um, which relate to the, re the, the specifics of the relationship between the board um, and uh, the exec team. Uh, the exco um, but broadly speaking it's not the sole responsibility of the uh, of the of the chief exec um, in in the us the chief exec will tend to be um, the sole member of the exec um, on the board most other places around the world 
there will be a range of um, execs on the board, um, typically the chief exec and the CFO, um, plus possibly someone who's in charge of, you know, the, the chief operating officer, um, or um, increasingly we see things, pe people like um, chief sustainability officers, I might come on to that um, a bit a bit later, but you'll, you'll have this um, responsibility on the board for um, approving strategy. Okay, this is kind of quite important. That doesn't mean that the, um, the board has to formulate strategy. It can be formulated by uh, the exec team. But um, if governance is working well and the board is working well, the strategy has to come up to the board and it's up to the board to take a very, very, very strong view and modify and improve and amend um, the, uh, the, the organisation um, the organisational strategy, um, taking into account the um, responsibilities companies have to other stakeholder groups, bearing in mind the, the ability that the board has to think about the big issues, geopolitical issues, supply chain issues, um, social issues and so on, adjust the strategy, amend the strategy, and then approve it and pass it back down. Uh, to the exec team, and then the exec team executes again. The clues okay. in the, the exec bit of the um, of those two words. Um, so, so yes, maybe the you know the the the, the exco will be obviously it has the informational uh, and resource uh, advantage to make sure that the strategy is, is is appropriate. But it goes up to the board. The board then modifies and approves. Um, and again, this is this is important because the board has a fiduciary duty to the company. The board is actually the directing mind um, and will, the controlling mind and will in kind of legal terms of the company. So that says, yes, that's that's our company uh, strategy and then passes it back to the, uh, the ex-co to, um, to execute. I hope that, that answers you, Edward. So Simon, this is probably a good time for you to talk a bit about what does a what are, what do you feel the skills are for uh, a corporate board that a corporate board needs to have now? Yeah, so so this is this is where um, things are really exciting, really um, uh, interesting. Maybe also a little bit worrying, Conrad. Um, I think we are in a moment of huge change for boards. Huge, huge, huge change. Um, I think for many years, um, it was assumed that the board was this kind of top-level organisation that had, you know, some some direction and some controlling kind of uh, remit. Um, but often it was it was a sort of thing that you aspired to once you'd reached the top of the ladder within the organisation. Yeah, you know, you, you you might want to become a um, an exec director within your own company. Or maybe take on some non-exec roles in um, other other companies. It was seen seen as something that was, you know, came towards the end of your career, and um, it it you know the, the the appointment that was made was based on your experience, your knowledge in your particular functional discipline, be it finance or marketing or strategy, um, and your you know domain knowledge. If you knew a particular industry well, you might go and work with you know other organisations um in in a similar industry or where those skills were uh, were valued 
this has changed um, significantly over the last uh, few years, but particularly within the last two or three years, I, 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 I'd say, um, because the, um, there are so many questions about the role and responsibilities of companies now. Um, we um, realise um, that we are in an increasingly uh, fragile uh, world. Um, I think that's that's clear to everyone. Um, I'm, I, I, I still think people don't necessarily understand the magnitude of some of the issues around us. They're almost kind of too big uh, to comprehend. I mean, take take climate change um, and you know general environmental uh, concerns. We're we're talking about you know real potential catastrophe. You know existential. Uh, planetary risks here. Um, you know, we, we see the extreme weather events, we see rising sea levels, we see, um, you know, average temperatures uh, increasing, but we don't necessarily recognise some of the, you know, the consequential um, global health issues that are around, uh, migration issues, um, economic inequality um, issues. Stuff around biodiversity, I think, is in incredibly frightening. You know, we're we're losing natural pollinators. We're um, we're the, the massive concerns about nutrient cycles. Um, the, the the whole kind of environmental ecosystem is 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 collapsing uh, uh, around us. Um, and yet there are so many other, you know, concerns that we quite rightly uh, focus on. You know, we're, we're all concerned about the various geopolitical tensions that there are. Um, US-China is probably at the front of many people's minds. Um, the conflicts um, in, in Ukraine uh, with Russia, um, the Israel-Gaza, uh, West Bank, um, uh, horrifying uh, challenges at, at the moment um, they all take a huge amount of, uh, of bandwidth for uh, for uh, for people um, but um, what this what these all mean I think for for, for 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 society in the world is we need to think very deeply about the change that's required and of course this comes at an individual level uh, this comes at um, a governmental and national level uh, level and there's you know we've got COP28 coming up uh, very soon where you know the governments get together and think about you know how we can uh, collaborate to um, uh, mitigate and and uh, hopefully uh, reverse some of these these big climate risks um, but actually you know corporations are arguably the most important actors um, in this space um, if we can get companies and organisations generally, so I'd include, you know, public sector organisations, startups, family firms, um, and, and so on. If we can get companies to really understand the, the role they play in this uh, ecosystem, um, then we can bring about change. And this, this, is, this is some of the work that we're doing um, at the World Economic Forum on the Climate Governance Initiative. It's very strongly related to this. Companies really need to... Um, step up. Um, boards need to be better educated. Boards need to understand how these 
systems work. They need to engage better in, in uh, systems thinking. Um, they need to take account of um, how their decisions, their evaluation of risk at a, at a company level um, feed into some of these much bigger uh, systemic um, issues. Uh, this is a massive challenge and it requires a huge change in the way that we think about uh, the roles and responsibilities of boards and directors. Um, that's, that's a kind of key pitch I want to, I want to make, make today in a way, uh, in a way you know, the, go the governance landscape is incredibly important, but never so more important than today. Um, and actually we need, we need people, hopefully who are on this call, um, but but more broadly, um, people who who understand these sorts of issues um, are facing them on a on, on a daily basis to to join the boards of companies to take on non-exec roles um, in order that we can we can think much more uh, clearly um, about um, the, the roles of different uh, and needs of different stakeholder uh, groups. Um, how these um, issues impact um, different types of people in different parts of the world, um, and also intergenerational issues. You know, young people in particular, I think, are being uh, impacted um, in ways that um, are kind of being locked in um, to, the, to the system for many years right now. Um, and it's fantastic to see uh, young people around the world uh, stepping up and protesting and 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 making a difference, but I think the real difference that can be made is actually working with and through companies, not just against them. Companies aren't necessarily the uh, the the enemy here. Um, uh, I think if we can if we can encourage more people to join uh, boards, particularly in non-exec roles, uh, mm -hmm. to get these issues properly understood and then on the board agendas, and then we can create companies that you know are sustainable. Um, hopefully in the long term are regenerative that would be another you know the next step um, but you know th think thinking about how how you can make a difference here is 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 so important mm. so it's a bit of a long answer Conrad yeah well we have quite a number of questions actually so I think I'm gonna just pick up a few someone on LinkedIn asks commercial companies have a main Gold make profit, and often this means decisions with regard to sustainability or climate change are not taken or not taken as forcefully as they should. So, Simon, how would you view the role of the board in enforcing cost corrections here when obviously you mentioned the board has a fiduciary duty to make sure mm -hmm. that the company grows and, and is profitable? Mm -hmm. So, um, I'd, I'd qualify that slightly. Um, uh, comrade, and it's a it's a kind of co common uh, mis misperception or mis misreading of of corporate purpose. Um, the, the the purpose of the company is 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 to be successful in the long term. It's actually to be sustainable. Part of that inevitably is 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 around it being financially and economically um, uh, viable. Um, but um, the, 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 one of the kind of really great uh, definitions of, of you know what what the role of the director is now it's is is very clear in 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 the UK um, 
across Europe, um, even in the US. Some people might uh, be surprised at that, but the you know the, the duty of a director is to promote the long-term success of the company. Okay, the long-term success uh, of the company. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be um, to focus uh, exclusively on profitability, although that is important, um, and um, you have to. Uh, think always of those people who have capital at risk in the company, um, and that usually means uh, shareholders. So absolutely, shareholders are critically important in this. But your main target is not just to make a profit for those shareholders. Your target is to um, ensure the long-term uh, success uh, of the company, um, which are, which includes um, you know making uh, money for the. Uh, for the for the for the shareholders, so um, those things are not, you know, the, the the kind of environmental sustainability of the company, social sustainability of the company, and the uh, economic sustainability of the company are not. Um, they are aligned. Uh, is 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 the point I'd make. Um, a lot of the um, discussion of ESG, the growth of ESG, um, over the last uh, few years. Um, has really focused um, the debate um, in this uh, in this space, um, mm. and actually, um, it's it's interesting for those of you who are interested. Take take a look at the BlackRock um, statements on um, on ESG and their investing um, parameters. Uh, they make it very clear that um, climate risk is investment risk for them. Okay. Mm. So they are saying very clearly, you know, if companies are not taking climate risks seriously, then that's a threat to um, the investability of the um, of, 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 of the company. So these things are complete in, in many people's views now kind of completely uh, completely aligned. If you don't take uh, climate risk, environmental risks seriously, biodiversity risk, we're, we're going to um, be thinking a lot more in the next two or three years about nature-based risk, um, then um, the, the company is not going to be viewed as a, as a sustainable investment. Um, there's a yeah. huge debate around these issues. We have, probably don't have enough time in this this particular um, Yeah, I think Simon, we have a question linked to that, which is, you know, the, the, someone on LinkedIn says that the, the term ESG rather than sustainability, corporate responsibility, leads to that fragmentation in thinking. How should boards um, adopt that systems thinking that you mentioned before, right? To look at whether how the E, the S, and the G, the environmental, social, and governance, work together or sometimes maybe in conflict. Yeah, and, and again, a, a, a great question. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, the, the, there, there is a danger, I think, that some people see these these things as, as slightly um, different issues, the E, the environmental risk, the S, the social risk, and the G, the, go the, uh, the, the governance risk. But a lot of the work that we're doing at the moment um, shows how interrelated these, uh, these, these topics are. Um, you can't uh, think about um, uh, the environmental risks that are around at the moment without then looking at the consequential uh, social risks and of course, then uh, the governance risks. Uh, this, which would relate back to what I was just saying about making sure that we have uh, boards that are fully representative of these uh, different interests uh, and 
uh, and, and issues. Um, there, there's, there's also an interesting conversation going on right now, I know, uh, within various uh, organisations to think about whether, for example, each of those topics, you know, the E, the environmental issues and the social issues, needs to have a particular representative on the board. So, you know, i.e. you promote someone to the board who's, whose job it is to, um, to raise, you know, environmental issues or climate issues or someone else whose job is to think about kind of social issues. Um, that is one possibility, um, I, would, I would say, but um, I think the real challenge and, and hopefully the real solution is to make sure that boards as a whole um, are able to look at all of these issues um, together. So we need better education for boards. We need to think about uh, board composition, um, obviously. Um, we, we may also need to think about uh, board structures um, uh, in different ways, but um, uh, they are interrelated. Um, and I think the, the key comfort that we, sh we should take is that these things are being taken really seriously. I think ESG is not CSR. CSR, corporate social responsibility, has been around for a long time, but people haven't known exactly how to deal with it. And there's just been this constant debate about, you know, should we focus on shareholder value maximization or should we think about the social responsibilities of business? What ESG has done, it's hardened the conversation. It's made boards, you know, sit up and say, actually, we now have disclosure requirements around some of these, these things. We have to report um, on carbon emissions we have to think about our supply chain um and you know how, how social issues are feeding into um aspects of our uh, of our operations um so it's now seen as risk by uh, the company by the companies which means the boards are taking this stuff really seriously yeah i i i'm on a, a board of governors at a further education college here well, a few miles from Cambridge. And yeah, I can see how things like ESG gets stuffed into existing board structure subcommittees like risk, for example, mm -hmm. right? Or operations or finance. And so I guess over time, as you say, there will be changes in that kind of board structure to better understand all those uh, interrelationships. But Simon, you, you issued this rallying call for people who have, you know, the expertise to step forward and serve on board. So Brian, a, an MBA alum from 2010, asked, do seasoned or retired executives make better board members than investors or shareholders or stakeholders, I think? Great, great question, Brian. Um, yes and no. I think what we need, the, one of the kind of underlying points I'm trying to make here is we need, we need diversity of views and opinions and experiences. So there are certain things that seasoned or retired execs can bring um, about, for example, you know, strategy and business models or, you know, particular industries and the way they're working or, or particular knowledge about um, growth in particular regions. And that's so important. Um, investors and shareholders, again, can bring um, really useful uh, information about, you know, capital structure or investment strategies or, um, uh, you know, making sure that performance is, is strong in the short term and the long term. So doing those kind of uh, trade-offs. Um, but I'm saying 
<clears throat> what we may also need is people who don't have much experience of business per se, but maybe understand the consequences on communities of corporate activity. Um, we, we have, some of you may be surprised to hear this, we, we now have two companies, uh, one in the US and one in the UK, that have appointed nature to their boards. Okay, they've appointed nature to their boards because um, we are now in, in two or three years time, we're gonna have to, all companies are gonna have to report on their nature-based uh, financial risk. So there's, there's a thing called the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, which is based on, many of you will have heard the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. Companies, are, uh, alongside their financial reporting, will have to look at um, you know, climate um, impact and nature uh, impact. So a couple of, you know, forward-thinking companies have thought, okay, so maybe we need to have a voice on the board that's going to represent uh, nature. Think so, so, you know, think about that. It's, it, it does mean, I think, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to predict here for the first time on Conrad's show, <laughs> um, that we will, we will have, you know, a really significant shake-up um, over the next 10 years of around the composition of boards. And, you know, some people will be quite surprised at, at the way boards, I think, will uh, will look uh, uh, in a few years. I guess it's all about bringing the people who are not in the room into the, but who need to be part of that conversation into the yeah. boardroom. Yeah, um, I mean, if you think about state yeah. stakeholders is, is the kind of key word here. Um, you know, companies have an impact on a, um, and re also rely on the, you know, the, the valuable input from a, a range of different stakeholders. So those, yeah. those views kind of, having to be represented on the uh, on the boards mm. another one of our mba alums judy i think who was in the same class as brian uh she i know she she has worked on several boards and she's asking for those who are serving on chinese companies boards or boards in countries regions going through significant changes what advice would you give and i would say i, I would try to reframe this question in terms of how should boards incorporate that understanding of geopolitical risk in the work that they do with companies? Yeah, um, so great to see you, Judy. Um, the, this, is, this, is, this is a kind of tough, tough question. You, you reference particularly China. China, of all the countries around the world, is probably undergoing the most significant change um, in this space, I would say. Um, and that relates to the way that particularly the, the state um, kind of acts in the governance structures and, and, and processes of, of private sector um, companies. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some, there's a lot, there has been a lot of significant um, activity over the last uh, couple of, uh, couple of years. Um, uh, one of the things that I, um, always want to um, let people know who are interested in these kind of issues is that in every country around the world, the state has a role in the affairs of companies. Uh, sometimes it's through uh, regulation, sometimes it's more kind of direct control, uh, sometimes it's through um, particular forms of representation. Um, 
you know, look at the US and what's going on with tech companies. Um, you know, a lot of tech companies have very, very valuable um, IP. Uh, and the, the American state is quite interested in making sure that other states don't necessarily get um, uh, straightforward access to those technologies. Um, so th this is a um, this is a kind of big issue as we as we think about um, governance and the roles of boards of directors. Um, at the at the at the risk of being um, a little bit kind of too academic here, this 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 relates to an idea of varieties of capitalism. Um, there are different types of capitalism around the world. Um, we often have as a model in our head this kind of idea of a liberal market um, economy as epitomised by particularly the US, um, maybe to some extent the UK, um, contrasted with, um, for example, China, which is seen as, as much more um, a controlled um, uh, economy or an, an interventionist uh, sort of form of capitalism. Um, but these things are always in flux. And as I said, you know, actually there's more similarity than there is difference in, uh, in, in many ways. Um, I think the direct answer to your question, Judy, is if you are on uh, boards of uh, directors um, anywhere in the world, in any jurisdiction, you need to be really clear about what your responsibilities are. Your responsibility is to promote the long-term success of that company. That's the, that's the main thing. The way that you are held to account may be slightly different. So in the US, it's mainly to markets and shareholders. Um, in other jurisdictions, it may be slightly different. Um, there might be slightly uh, different arrangements. Um, but the key focus, if we're going to create the kinds of companies that we want for a, you know, a successful, um, developing, uh, sustainable world, um, your job, wherever you are, is to is to promote the long term success of that company to really focus on that. That's that's the thing that should should drive you as a director. Simon, we're almost out of time, but I think there's lots of really great questions. I'll just pick two that are kind of related. So Tom asks, is there a sweet spot for the size of a board where it's most effective? And Juan Pablo asks, is there a limit on the number of boards to reach that diversity that you mentioned? Um, there's, again, been lots of debate on these these sorts of issues. Um, it's It's a bit of Bit of a Goldilocks um, question uh, in a way. You know, you don't want something too big where you don't have that proper uh, debate. You don't want something too small where you don't get the diversity of, of views. It really does depend. It depends on the sector you're in. It depends on the age of the company. It depends on um, some, sometimes you know who who actually is 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 on the board. Um, but I would I would say you know we we seem to see boards now in that space of kind of eight to twelve being the kind of uh, sweet sweet spot. Um, the diversity issue I don't think we're anywhere close um, yet in terms of thinking about that properly. We've made huge advances in terms of gender diversity on boards um, over the last ten years. Um, we've made some. Uh, advances, not enough on ethnic diversity, but the kind of diversity that I'm talking about, you know, really representing different interests, being able to ask the challenging questions, being able to give the support from different, you know, 
different angles. Um, that's that's the big challenge over the next few years. Thinking about you know how you how you optimize diversity on boards to create those companies that are going to create a just, fair, you know, progressive, economically successful world. Thanks so much, Simon. We've run out of time, so there are some really great questions there. So, um, if you don't mind, Simon, I'll I'll direct them your way after this, and you can reply Please, yeah. on on LinkedIn. Thanks for everyone's um, feedback and questions. Been fantastic. Well, thank you, Simon, because uh, you've made it very clear that corporate boards are not just there to tick a regulatory box, and there is also a potentially rewarding career for people in the audience who want to step up to the plate, become non-exec directors, uh, don't do the work, and not just turn up for the board lunches. So, thank you very yes. much, Simon. The Thanks, balance sheet will be. We'll be back on the 10th of November, and we've got a double header. First, we have, on our usual time, Clean Tech Investments with Chris Coleridge, who also teaches at CJBS. He's started a clean tech fund, and he'll talk about investing in clean tech. Later that day, we will have uh, alum Nira Jori, who'll talk about sustainability in large companies. She's worked in the World Cocoa Foundation and is now Chief Sustainability Officer at KFC. So thank you everybody for joining. Till then, stay well and see you next time.